Hello and welcome to the Boys in the Band podcast. I'm Richard Gallagher. And I'm Peter Smith. And on this week's episode, we're joined by Johnny Lloyd, frontman of Tribes, who are back. They're out on tour as we record this link right now, Rich, supporting DMAs. And they've got a brand new album out later this summer as well called Rabbit Head. So look out for that one. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. It's been a long time away for the band. You know, they split mm. after their second album came out in 2013. And Johnny tells us how it all came back together for them and their exciting plans for the future. Yeah, three of the four members of Tribes were in Opera House during the late noughties. Um, As you listen to this podcast, you realise I was quite a big fan of them. And then Tribes took off at the end of that decade. So Johnny has some really nice insights for us in the changing landscape of the music industry at that time. Yeah, very much so. And um, their second album was actually recorded out in California. And as Johnny says, no expense was spared. (laughs) Uh, But but, um, the live show is now the driving moneymaker for bands these days. And Tribes have got an extensive tour plan for their new album with all the details on that landing this coming Monday. So make sure you stay across their socials for that. Yeah, definitely. Looks like one you don't want to miss. But before then, have a listen to Johnny Lloyd from Tribes on the Boys in the Band podcast. Well, on this edition of the Boys in the Band podcast, we're delighted to be joined by Johnny Lloyd, frontman of Tribes. How are you doing, Johnny? Very well. How are you guys? Good. Very good, mate. Thank you. Very good. Um, Johnny, we always start these podcasts before we get into the Tribe story um, with three quick questions, which we call our sound check. And the first one is always, whereabouts are you? I'm in Camden at home, um, just getting ready for this tour to start. The band are actually arriving in a couple of hours. Um Staying, well, staying at yours tonight, aren't they? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> scattered around a bit. We'll be fresh for tomorrow. <laughs> fresh for you, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the fridge oh, back to the old stomping ground. Well back stop. to the old stomping ground. Great. I never yeah. left. I'm the last. I'm literally the last guy here. I'm like all my friends have gone. I just. I'm still in Camden. <laughs> Hanging on. Yeah. Well, cool. <laughs> next up, Johnny just um. On the topic of what you're listening to at the moment, so any artists you're particularly into right now? Um, yeah, I think weirdly, like, and it's not current, but I've just rediscovered the Stooges for the first time. I've been thinking about the next Tribes album and sort of been quite excited about sort of punk and garage again. Um, so I've kind of discovered the Germs recently, which sort of passed me by when I was a kid. Um. And I'm particularly into Funhouse by the Stooges at the moment. I sort of like takes me a couple of weeks to sort of dissect things and what's going on and sort of get the idea of somebody's sound across. So I'm just kind of, I'm in a sort of, um, yeah, Black Flag Germs and Stooges moment. I'm having kind of, I'm just thinking about where we're going next. So that's sort of engulfing me at the moment. Nice, interesting and intriguing about uh, where tribes are going next. As you said, obviously live shows coming up soon um and the third question the soundtrack is how are you feeling ahead of the new album rabbit head dropping in august nervous very, excited very excited I, yeah. I, I know it's our best record we spent years oh. making it and um it's got us you know it's just we put everything into it you know when we started making it we didn't have a record deal we didn't know what we didn't have a manager it was really back to basics you know and, and that old energy that we had of just like fuck it we can do it and as long as we're all here, we can something good will happen, you know. And it did. <laughs> it's like we got the deal again with downtown. Our old manager Sam came back, and it was just like this big family again, sort of family reunion, but without the fights, you know. <laughs> so it was like it was. We all were back in the room, and the music started coming thick and fast, and it was just great. So I, I'm I'm thrilled that the new album is 
is as good as it is and I can't wait for people to come out and hear it and um and react to it and hopefully have those build those memories that they've had to the first one you know yeah very exciting looking forward to it very much indeed um so yeah tell us a little bit more about how that sort of reunion first came about because obviously tribes had a couple of albums back in uh the, the early sort of teens of, of the of the 20th century and then a, a split in 2013 so in between those sort of 10 years that have passed uh how long we were apart and, and how long has this process taken to sort of uh, get the record together we started talking again in 2019 just before lockdown um and we were pretty much at it from 2020 but it was just a massive gap in and I, I think I can speak on behalf of everyone in the band, but in our lives, there was a huge hole there. It's very hard when you're moving through your life and you're known for something that is quite difficult to talk about or has been quite painful, you know? It's just, it's just like a divorce. It's like, oh, you're like a separation with kids or something. It's like you are carrying this huge weight with you and I will always be Johnny from Tribes. It doesn't matter what else I do because that's how people were first introduced to me in a public way. And I think it was just very hard, you know, having a solo career and it not quite taken off as I'd liked it to. But I think I look at it now and I think that was meant to be because we're back together and and it's not just about, you know, it is about the band. It makes me very, very happy, but I'm really happy to have my mates back. You know, me and Jimmy grew up together and Dan and Miguel grew up together. And having the four of us together, it we laugh we laugh a lot and we have a lot of similar interests and aside from being in this band together, we have we would be hanging out anyway. So it's a great it's a great thing. And as soon as it got back, I've had a smile on my face since, you know, I was really struggled with the breakup and the reasons and you know, and it was it was down to me, and it was just kind of I'd had a breakdown really, but I didn't really have the language for it at the at the time. We weren't living in that era of mental health awareness and chat and all that sort of stuff that's come later. So I just kind of ran away from everything, and it was hard to come to terms with that. And I think getting back with the band and trying to understand why that happened and getting their take on it because it was really hard for everybody. Um, it's been a very healing process and something that we don't take for granted anymore. You know, we're very grateful to be in the band and we're lucky to be in the music industry. It's so hard and such a different place now than it was. You know, we were selling CDs the first time around and you don't really sell anything now. It's just kind of the live show. Um, so it's it's tough. Um, it's been a tough period in the interim and I feel like, I'm myself again, personally. And I don't want to talk for the, you know, Dan, Jim and Meg, but I, I could probably say that they feel the same as well. So it's 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 been an amazingly, like, healing process. We're different people. We're all dads now. And we've had different experiences in the interim, like how we've made music. And, you know, I've worked a lot in TV. None of it really hits the same way and it's never really you leading it. You know, it's like you, I'm not myself unless I'm in this band for whatever reason and people react to it better. You know, it's like when we came back and we played the forum, it was just, I would have been happy in the pub down the road playing to 200 people, but 
the fact that two and a half thousand people bought the tickets up in like 30 seconds it's like what the fuck is going on so of course we have we have to we have to keep going and try and create something that that does it justice and it's not rocket science tribes it's like we're a very emotionally led band and we're not particularly technical all the time we can be if we want to be but it doesn't really come out with the four of us it's just an emotional thing and so we just want to make music that's like has a guttural reaction and is either romantic or you know makes you want to get fucked up or whatever you know it's like we want to have a visceral reaction to it and we've made a record with heavy rock and roll on it and some absolute heartbreaking ballads. So we'll see where that lands. But I, I feel like it, it feels like tribes, you know. Um, the second, we always, you know, I'm always asked this, like, you know, what happened on the second record? But I fucking love that record. It was just very different. And we were, we made a different album because we were in a different place and we were given an opportunity to live and record in, fucking Malibu and it doesn't it's like it's not gonna come around all the time and yeah we made a really stoned acoustic album because you know that's what it felt right out there and I look back on it and I'm, I, I think it's wonderful that record but um, you know it sort of deviated from the path maybe of what we are at our core which is a little scuzzier and a little bit more punk maybe um but essentially it's just song it's a song band hiding as a rock and roll act i always think you know it's mm. like there's a, quite a bit of soul underneath it if you played the songs on the piano like halfway home or night driving it would possibly sound more like rem than you know like a sort of nirvana all these bands that we were compared to or pavement and stuff it was you know i don't know how much of that is in there it's like it's a different um it's it's a lot of different things in one, but it. I'm always proud of how, how simple it is and like how um, direct the music can be, and I think we've captured that on the new album. You never you never know until, until people start telling you, but I feel like we we have. Good. Well, it's it's great to hear that sort of positive conclusion. I guess to what sounds like what could have been a rough time for you and 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 the rest of the guys for for a period, and it's it's great because not all the bands get a, that second chance to sort of come back round uh, to, to start the circle again, Johnny. But if we um, go back right to the start and we're talking about what tribes yeah. are and how they evolved into what they were, um, can we start with Opera House? Because uh, I can yeah. tell you that Born a Boy was a song that I just had repeatedly playing on my computer back in the day. I absolutely yeah. love that tune. Um, and I love the video as well. We'll talk about that in a minute as well. But so just just to be clear, so it was you, Dan and Jim from Tribes in that band. That's right. And then it was. And Alex, who ended up in Everything, Everything. Um, and a guy called Ben. Ben Nibbler is a brilliant drummer. Um, and yeah, it went on for a, a good while. I feel like it was it was um, one of those things. I think a lot of people went through it in that period. Things were changing really quick between like 2006 and nine. Um, we didn't quite know. I think we were all pulling in different directions. You know, it's like I wasn't really being true to what I like musically. I don't think Alex was going one way. I was going the other and everybody was sort of splintering off and it just didn't happen. And there was a kind of frustration there that we poured a lot into it. And I was like, if all these bands, and there was a lot of them that just make it to like seven inch singles, you know, and then break and 
and the, they'd only you just tell people to party in a band that would like almost be enough as opposed to like <laughs> actually doing a show or like all oh, right have you played have you ever played outside of camden oh no mate oh yeah why the fuck would you but it was like it was kind of I felt that if we were gonna, if it was gonna be quick, if the experience was just gonna be a year, then we may as well do something that we want to do. And so me, Jim, and Dan met in a pub and decided that we were gonna make a band and that that was gonna be fun essentially. That was just gonna be really loose rock and roll with Marshall stacks and play guitar solos and incorporate. The Chili Peppers and Aerosmith and Zeppelin and the Velvet Underground, all these bands we liked. And just sort of dress how we wanted to dress and a bit more denim and just fuck off the drain pipes and all this stuff that we've been told by various management that we should be like smarter. And just get a bit trashier on it. And it was and it was formed like there and then. And then we went to the Hawley that night and Dan was like, look, I got this mate from South Africa. He's spend a lot of time with him in LA you got to meet him and it's Miguel you know Miguel is like this fucking looks like John Bon Jovi and bursting muscles and like very good looking bloke back then and he, I remember him just sort of like t- tapping on the table and we're like he's the drummer <laughs> I love the chili peppers and like all this sort of stuff and we were like great and he became he's really the soul of the band I've always thought it's kind of the tastemaker and um he start his style as well was kind of I think we all kind of took it on and it was it was just very very quick and then we knew that we weren't gonna we weren't part of that angular jet like post libertines mega wave that came you know all the way to like Jolene and Jing Jang Jong to the editors and how it was or white lies maybe I always think is the end of it it's like the vaccines are, are just about started and they were doing something slightly different. And it was like, we're just gonna be ourselves and we're gonna fucking name drop Mud Honey in interviews and just get rid of all this shit that we had come from. Because it was over and it was like, it's 2009. It was like, this is all that stuff. Frog, frog club night shut. And it was like, we need to move on and just get. And all of the, what's so funny is about it, is all the indie tastemakers just jumped on board with us and were like, fuck, we loved pavement when we were kids too. And it wasn't a fight with like, sort of like the guys running the club nights and stuff who were like quite powerful, I suppose, in North London. They were like, this is great. We loved all those bands and yeah, we should be doing something heavier. That's back tribes. And so they did. And there was a massive groundswell in this area. And it went on for steady for about a year and a half. Mr. Jets offered us a tour and we scooped up a lot of their fans. But then we, we Were Children came out as our first single and it just went from 200 people in the Queen's Head to 1,000 at Electric Ballroom within a couple of months, um, which was a shock to us because <laughs> I was amazed. We used to, we used to like make demos and draw palm trees on them. I, I'm a massive hippie when it comes to like the power of manifestation, but we really did draw the island logo on our shitty demos that we'd hand out to promoters. And we got offered a deal by Island. I mean, what are the chances? <laughs> and it sort of, we'd suddenly launched into this major label thing and we were on the enemy tour. 
and it was just great and it happened it, it just exploded really very very fast and I felt like uh we could probably have taken another year to tour baby but by September of the year the album came out we were in LA making the second one didn't have that many songs kind of blagged it to the head of Ireland and said like yeah I just wanted to get there so bad that <laughs> we were like yeah we sort of arrived and we were in this fucking, you know, sound city for God knows how many weeks living in this mansion on a hill. It was very bizarre, you know, and a year earlier we'd been playing in the pub. So it was kind of this batshit experience. And for whatever ups and downs we had, it was just always the most fun ever. Um, but yeah, I think all the whole thing, to get back to your question, was, it was almost a rejection of what had come before. It was like a joyous rejection of, and don't get me wrong, like I love, I loved the Libertines and the Strokes and all these things. I didn't love all the bands that they formed, uh, that formed because of them, but I did love those original groups as much as anyone. But it was like, yeah, fuck all that stuff. Like, let's just be exactly who we wanted to be when we were 16 and we wanted to be rock stars, you know? It's like, and that was always made me feel like we were on this little island and it didn't really matter what was happening around us. And I kind of still, I still feel like that. Um, and yeah, it's just the, the industry, the rug was almost pulled under our feet, you know, from the first album to the second, CDs were dropping off and Spotify. You know, I didn't know, I hadn't heard of Spotify, you know, it's so insane that like, I just hadn't, I didn't even know what it was. Um, I certainly didn't use, I mean, I didn't even have a phone at the start of the band. It's just completely mad. Like we, we rejected the online presence completely. Um, so yeah, it was just, it, everything was changing rapidly under us. And I felt like whether we caught the end of a wave or the beginning, I never really understood yeah. it. And I don't really know, you know, I know a lot of bands followed afterwards, um, and they kind of lasted a little while, like Swim Deep and Peace and all these like really good bands. But I don't know if um, if it, there was like a new, it just felt like towards the end of last decade, it was just like, you know, just fading away like guitar music. And I feel like now, like right now, it's a it's kind of picking up again. Because um, drives it back, right? Because <laughs> I feel like the, the sort of idols um, have had a big impact and Fontaine's and Wolf Alice. And so, yeah, I just, I think there might be a new wave. I think now you have to accept different realities. Like you're probably not going to get a big advance. You know, there's probably not going to be any money there unless you're on tour all the time. Well, we didn't have that. We we believed that there was going to be a shit ton of money there. You know? <laughs> we were still of that era and we were like, we need to get some zeros on that advance you know? and live in separate flats and live okay. I think we did that for about 18 months before it all came crashing down. But it had only been a few years before. I mean, when we speak to bands on this podcast, you can clearly see the shift, like, you know, Oh four, oh five, oh six. There is money sloshing around oh, these oh, these record companies, and then it drops off very quickly. As you say, CD sales drop off as well. Yeah, I know some very wealthy musicians from that period who got in at those at that time. There was no, there was none after that. You're right. It's exactly that. Two thousand six, seven. 
Yeah, that said, you still had that sort of glamorous experience recording the second album out in Malibu. So how was that? It was good. It was disjointed. And, and I think it was um, in a beautiful way. It was uh, kind of just one massive experience. You know, we're in the water every day. We were going to bars and just just doing L.A. as well as making this album that was that I think was happening at quite a good pace. But, you know, we played we had like. David Bowie's piano player on hire. We had the original Mo Sound Girls. <laughs> it's like just uh, Brenda Holloway's choir, various musicians, a guy who played with Robert Plant, Green Day's brass section. We spent a fuckload of money, you know, and it, we were unaware of what we were doing. But I think there were some really beautiful moments. I hold that record so dear to me. We all, I must say, we all individually had a very different experience on that. Producer wasn't easy, and he was he was certainly easier on on me than he was the other guys in the band, and so it was it was um a, we all had kind of polar opposite experiences, but really, as a whole thing, it was it was just so so extreme from where we've come from where we started. Um, I I, I don't know. I mean, we got home and it was it was tough. I think it went in at twenty four, and the critics ripped it to shreds. And the fans, even though the shows were getting bigger, were slightly confused by the acoustic nature of some of the tracks, I think. And we got a piano player in the band and it sounded more like the Stones acoustic than it did like Neil Young or Bob Dylan. But it it was a turn away from what what we had been, I think, and less electric because we hadn't we hadn't road tested the material. And I think I'm always somebody who thinks that I'd rather play a flat show playing new stuff than not play it. You know what I mean? It's like, you've got to try the songs live or you just don't know. Like it doesn't, of course they're not going to react like the ones that people know, but if you don't do that, then you're kind of going in blind and you just sort of, you can never really tell, you know, you can always play it in a rehearsal room to your manager who goes, oh, it's great. But you've got to know um, in venues of all sizes, like how those songs are going to breathe and also how they change when you play them live. Um, and how you kind of feel it out and you, you know, you sort of like, you, you find different parts and different harmonies that you might not do on a record or might not have time to explore. Um, so yeah, yeah Wish to Scream was straight to tape, literally just like out of our heads in the morning and onto tape in the afternoon. Um, and we all had our birthdays out there. We all turned 27 out there. It was just like a major party as well. Um, and yeah, just lots of weed, you know, it's legal out there. And we really got into that for a bit, which doesn't, you know, doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I have very fond memories. I made some great friends out there who I'm still friends with to this day. Um, and we joked when we got back together, maybe we should go make the, make the third <laughs> one in LA. <laughs> Take no ideas over and see what happens again. <laughs> um so when you think about that now as you say you got an affection for that album but maybe didn't hit how you were hoping to is it something in retrospect you think maybe that turn could have come another album down the line or another couple of albums down the line if you'd you know you don't want to just be repeating what you've done on the first album because it worked there's got to be an evolution hasn't it but was that just yeah too 
I think it was like just not, we didn't need to make a record there. I think when I was on stage at the forum with this comeback gig in 21, and there's so many people that are waiting for baby songs. You're like, fuck, we could have given it like two or three years before we'd done another one, you know, mm-hmm. and just sort of toured. Um, we didn't really need to. I got it into my head at some point that we were going to be this band. Having not had any ambitions to make an album at all, I went from that to saying, fuck it, we're going to be the band on Ireland that makes the record every year. I've no idea why, but I just started to say that all the time until we were trying to do it. Um <laughs> So I don't know. I think we could have sat on it longer. That would have been the sensible thing. But we're here now and it's yeah. in a good spot. So I just don't, I don't know. I, I'm sick of regretting things to do with what we've done. And I just want to look forward now. And so um, intimate the slight, slightly earlier, Johnny, but is there yeah. still the, the, the further music down the line? This isn't just a, a one-off album for you guys. You, you're in for the long hauls. You're already sort of uh, soaking the fires for the next record. Yeah, we are. And we're definitely in for the long haul. I think the way the business is now, it's like you've got to tour as much as you can. And that's, you know, the tour plans a couple of years long as it is now. I don't want to be doing anything else. Um, whether that's going to be possible, or not, I don't know. But we're, we're going to be working to try and make it as sustainable as it can be. Um, and uh, yeah, there's no there's no looking back now. Certainly not for me. I think we found each other again and it's like we'll be going and going and going but probably not making an album every year. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, we, we're going to, we, I'm already thinking about it. Um, the record, I know Dan and the boys are too. Yeah. In terms of like how the, how the industry and how the, the sort of the, uh, the cycle of music has changed. Do you think you will still be an albums band? Do you see yourselves sort of going down the more EPs route? Like, a, like, like, like plenty of bands seem to do now, these days. I think we'd always stick to albums. I think there's like something in us probably instilled, from growing up in the nineties that we would stick to albums. I think it's more interesting. And when yeah. we start writing, we tend to do it in batches and yeah, we definitely um we'll definitely stick to albums. I think there's an art form in that, whether or not you know, people like it or not, or consume music like that. I think the explosion of vinyl again gives you a bit of leeway with trying to make, you know, we have a lot of discussion about side A and side B and all that kind of thing. And I think it's, that's just what we know, you know, it's like, we don't need to be making three or four minute songs as a human race anymore. It's like the tape doesn't run out at four minutes, like it used to, or the vinyl <laughs> got more space, but we do anyway, because it works, you know, and that's just the way we consume things. And I think the idea of 10 to 15 songs an album is, is a good thing. Um, and it's a good, it stood the test of time and it's a good document of where the band was. Excellent. Uh, Johnny, uh, we're going to wrap up with uh, three more questions as we started. Just quick fire questions for the encore. Um, yeah. I was just about to ask you um, what your favourite venue is in Camden. But I was when you mentioned an extra ballroom earlier, I was thinking, is that where, and Rich might know this, is that where we saw yeah. Tribes Rich? Or I, was it? I, I, think, I think it was, yeah. I was trying to think. I couldn't quite mm. um, place which venue it was we saw you in. Uh, but it was around the We Were Children EP. So, yeah, it probably... We Dingwalls back a lot Dingles, back at that time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dingwalls or Electric Ballroom. So Dingwalls yeah. was in August, Ballroom was in October. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Between the single. Yeah, I mean, you've got plenty of choice if you're picking out a favourite <laughs> venue in Camden. Yeah, there's, uh, well, certainly back in the day as well, there was there was a, a gig on every uh, corner, basically. Yeah, we just did a pop-up show at Dublin Castle, actually, for nice. 
and it was reminding me what a great venue that is. So I mm. say at, at a club level, it'd be the Dublin Castle and at a larger venue. The Roundhouse is quite glamorous and Coco is all right, but it's got to be the boring, you know, it's like, that's where the, uh, I heard recently actually, it's like all the, used to be an Irish dance hall for all the Irish immigrants. So it's had a massive history of like live music and, and parties and weddings. And you just kind of, it's nice to feel part of that lineage, I think, in Camden. Nice. Yeah, I love that venue. It's fine. Um, maybe linked to this question as well, Johnny, but uh, can you pick out the best gig that you've ever done? Um, yeah, I think it's the first time or second time we played Japan at Summer Sonic was the best best show we've done. It was a indoor arena to God knows how many people, and it they they knew our music had found its way out there somehow, and it was just an absolutely magical forty five minutes of just like can't believe this is happening kind of thing. That so festival think, gets quite a few mentions of this <laughs> this yeah, section yeah. of the podcast. Yeah. It's a popular one, yeah, yeah. Um, I hope to get back someday. Yeah, oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I think we need to get out there, Rich. That'd be uh, yeah. Oh, you should. It's just yeah, one for the list. Different <laughs> to an English festival, but it is wonderful. Yeah, um, and finally, Johnny. Um, similar vein. The song you're proudest of that you've written. Um, there's a there's a song on the deluxe of Worcester Screen called Reincarnate, which I think is my best song. Nice. Been overlooked, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my that's the favorite thing I've written. I think nice. You're supposed to say, "Oh, this is the upcoming single. This is the best thing." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait till next year to refer back to those. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. Well, we we are loving the single. Um, you know, a hard pill that came out last month. Really enjoying that. So I'm very much looking forward to the album. Uh, Rabbit Head coming out August 18th. So uh, thanks very much for joining us, Johnny. Um, and yeah, best of luck with the upcoming tour and, and, and yeah, the album release to come. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot.